Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, the General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly podcast episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments and CII advocacy activities related to the administration's initiative to reform the U.S. financial regulatory system. This update covers the period from October 19th to November 27th. Let's start with Congress. As you might have heard, we had an election on November 6th. The House of Representatives flipped to Democratic control on the strength of 39 seats gained from across the country. Over in the Senate, Republicans retained and expanded their majority. The 51-49 to 49 margin that they held before the midterm elections is now 53-47. to 47. The two committees of jurisdiction with respect to corporate governance issues are the House Committee on Financial Services and the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Of the two committees, the House Committee on Financial Services will obviously experience the biggest change in the 116th Congress. The membership of the committee will be rebalanced to allow for more Democrats to sit on the committee than Republicans. The longtime chairman of the committee, Jeb Henserling of Texas, has retired from Congress. He'll be replaced by Representative Maxine Waters of California. The new ranking member of the committee is expected to be Representative Patrick McHenry of North Carolina. Of note, back in July, Representative McHenry co-sponsored with Representative Waters a bill H.R. 6320. That bill was based on a 2002 CII rulemaking petition to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The bill would have required the SEC to study and consider certain types of amendments to its Rule 10b-5-1 trading plans. Those trading plans permit corporate insiders to sell their company stock and avoid engaging in illegal insider trading. Representative Waters recently invited CII to participate in a listening session in which we've been asked to share our views on investor protection, entrepreneurship, and capital markets priorities for the 116th Congress. Turning now to the Senate Banking Committee, following the elections, the ratio of Republicans to Democrats on the Banking Committee, which is currently 13 to 12, is unlikely to significantly change. Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho is expected to retain his chairmanship of the committee, and Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio is expected to remain as the ranking member of the committee. On November 14th, six Banking Committee senators introduced a bill to put proxy advisors under the regulatory jurisdiction of the Securities and Exchange Commission. The bill, S-3614, the Corporate Governance Fairness Act, is co-sponsored by Democrats Jack Reed of Rhode Island, Doug Jones of Alabama, and Heidi Heidkamp of North Dakota, as well as Republicans John Kennedy of Louisiana, David Perdue of Georgia, and Tom Tillis of North Carolina. Of note, Senator Heidkamp lost her re-election bid, and she will not be returning to the Senate next year. S-3614 is publicly supported by, among others, the Society for Corporate Governance, SEC Investor Advisory Committee member and Harvard Law School Professor John Coates, the New York Stock Exchange, and the Consumer Federation of America. The bill puts the advice provided by proxy advisory firms under the Investment Advisors Act, which is enforced by the SEC, in which the largest proxy advisory firm, Institutional Shareholder Services, is already registered. The bill directs the SEC to conduct periodic inspections of proxy advisory firms, such as including reviews of potential conflicts of interest. It also requires the SEC to consult with all relevant stakeholders and report back periodically to the Senate Banking Committee and the House Committee on Financial Services evaluating the proxy advisory firm policies and procedures regarding conflicts of interest and preventing errors or misleading information in the research reports and whether any additional protection to investors would be helpful. The bill excludes from registration as a proxy advisory firm entities that receive on a consolidated basis gross receipts from clients not more than $5 million, adjusted annually by the percentage change in GDP. 
Importantly, the bill excludes some of the most troublesome provisions of House Pass Bill H.R. 4015, sponsored by Representative Sean Duffy of Wisconsin. For example, unlike H.R. 4015, S. 3614 does not include provisions requiring proxy advisory firms to provide companies with a draft of their research reports and the opportunity for those companies to meet in person or telephonically with members of the proxy advisory firms to discuss their complaints, all prior to the report being issued to its customers. As currently drafted, CI does not oppose S. 3614. However, consistent with the views of most institutional investors, We do not believe that additional regulation of proxy advisory firms is necessary or that further regulation of the firms will benefit the primary customer of proxy advisory firm research who are the institutional investors. With only a few weeks left in this Congress, neither S3614 or HR4015 is likely to pass. Both bills would have to be reintroduced in the new Congress. However, it is expected that S3614 and HR4015 may be discussed at two banking committee hearings that are scheduled to occur before this Congress ends. The first hearing, scheduled for December 6, is entitled The Proxy Process and Rules, Examining Current Practices and Potential Changes. The hearing will include three witnesses, the Honorable Daniel M. Gallagher, Chief Legal Officer of Milan NV and former Commissioner of the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, Thomas Quadman, Executive Vice President of U.S. Chamber, and CIA board member Michael Garland, the Assistant Comptroller for Corporate Governance and Responsible Investment in the Office of the Comptroller of New York City. The second hearing, and likely the last hearing of the Banking Committee for this Congress, is scheduled for December 11th. It's an oversight hearing of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, in which the sole witness is SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. Let me move now to SEC issues. On November 8th, CII submitted a comment letter to the SEC to respond to their reopening of the comment period and requesting additional comment on capital, margin, and segregation requirements for security-based swap dealers and major security-based swap participants and capital requirements for broker-dealers. Our comment letter, consistent with our past public views and the conclusions of the 2009 Investors Working Group, raised concerns that the proposed rules reduce the margin requirements for certain security-based swap agreements and that doing so increases the potential systemic risk that those instruments impose on the financial system. Also on November 8th, CI submitted a letter to the SEC in response to their solicitation of comments in connection with the November 15th SEC staff roundtable on the proxy process. Our comment letter included a CII Research and Education Fund report entitled Clearing the Bar, shareholder proposals, and resubmission thresholds. The all-day November 15th SEC roundtable included three panels. The first panel was entitled Proxy Voting Mechanics and Technology. That panel included CI's Executive Director, Ken Birch. Consistent with our November 8th letter, Mr. Birch argued that the SEC should consider fundamental longer-term improvements in proxy infrastructure and provide short-term fixes to the current system. More specifically, he argued that long-term, the SEC should explore the use of existing technology, such as private permission blockchain technology controlled by a central gatekeeper, to improve the quality of proxy voting. He also argued that short-term fixes should include providing guidance to improve the reliability of the vote confirmation process and adopting a final rule on the SEC's 2016 proposal on universal proxy. On that latter issue, many of the other panelists agreed with CII that the SEC should implement the 2016 proposal on universal proxy. On the issue of the need for a more fundamental long-term change, the following day, the Division of Corporation Finance Director William Hinman publicly observed that CII's suggestion regarding the use of a gatekeeper-administered blockchain showed some promise. 
The second panel at the November 15th SEC Roundtable was entitled Exploring Effective Shareholder Engagement. This panel included two CII board members, Michael Garland and Aisha Mastagni, Portfolio Manager of the Corporate Governance Unit at the California State Teachers Retirement System. The panel also included the co-chair of CII Shareholder Advocacy Committee, Brandon Rees, the Deputy Director of Corporations and Capital Markets at the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. While some panelists expressed concerns of the corporate community regarding the need to update SEC Rule 14A8, including the proponent eligibility and resubmission requirements, we believe many, if not most, observers of this panel would likely conclude that the stronger arguments were made by the investor representatives in favor of retaining the existing 14A8 requirements. The third and final panel at the November 15th Roundtable is entitled Proxy Advisory Firms, the Current and Future Landscape. This panel included the co-chair of CII's Shareholder Advocacy Committee, Patty Brammer, the Corporate Governance Officer at the Ohio Public Employees Retirement System. In connection with this panel, the SEC staff asked whether proxy advisors should be subject to enhanced regulation. Notably, none of the panelists expressed support for more regulation of proxy advisory firms. We believe many, if not most, observers to this panel would likely conclude that institutional investors, the primary customer of proxy advisory firm research, are satisfied with the service they are receiving from proxy advisory firms and view the proxy advisory firm's existing disclosures about conflicts of interest to be adequate. In other CII advocacy activities related to the SEC, on November 26, we submitted a comment letter in response to the SEC's proposed changes to Regulation SX disclosure requirements about guarantors and issuers of guaranteed securities and affiliates whose securities collateralize registrant securities. While generally supporting the proposal, our comment letter raises a number of issues, including our opposition to the proposal's provisions that would give the option for companies to provide certain required disclosures outside of their audited financial statements. Uh, We view those provisions as in conflict with CI membership-approved policies and related public positions that recognize the many benefits of audited financial information as a critical source of information to institutional investors in making investment decisions. Let me end with two current CII advocacy activities related to the stock exchanges. On October 24th, CII filed petitions with the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ asking both to limit listings of companies with dual-class share structures. Specifically, the petitions ask the exchanges to amend their listing standards to require, on a going-forward basis, companies seeking to list that have multiple share class structures with differential voting rights should be required to include in their governing documents provisions that convert the share structure within seven years after their initial public offering to one share, one vote. We believe that this modest proposal will better ensure that voting power is directly proportional to investors' capital at risk, which is consistent with CII's membership-approved policies. The basis for our petitions include, among other factors, the recent academic research showing that while dual-class companies on average have a valuation premium at the time of their IPO, that advantage dissipates between six and nine years after the IPO and eventually decreases long-term shareholder value. In addition, there's a growing number of companies that are making their public debut with time-based sunsets. Of 38 U.S. companies that went public in 2017 and 2018 with multi-class structures, CII has tracked 11 or 29% that incorporate simple time-based sunsets. Finally, small but growing number of multi-class IPO companies have used time-based sunsets successfully. Examples include Groupon, who converted to a single-share class after five years, Texas Roadhouse, that also converted after five years, and Max Linear, that converted after seven years. 
We encourage all interested parties to contact the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ and share with them your views on CII's petitions. Finally, on November 9th, CII submitted a letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission in response to their solicitation of comments on the New York Stock Exchange proposed rule change to amend their listing requirements related to special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs. Our letter, consistent with several prior CII letters on SPAC listing standard changes, does not oppose the proposal, but simply asks for some additional information to assist investors and others in evaluating whether the proposed change would benefit investors. That completes my financial regulation update. If you have any questions or comments regarding my remarks, please contact me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, thanks for listening.